Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. take out notes we're going to continue with inheritance today Um, I want to share a couple passages and the first one is the psalmist is writing this passage and I'm going to read a a psalm from Psalm 89 uh, Psalm chapter 89 I'm going to I'm going to read from the reference of actually of of those verses I I guess I'll stop um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stop at the reference of 18 of verse 18 so in a nutshell um through through this uh, what I'm about to read, I'm referencing verses uh, 1 through 18 of the book of Psalm, chapter 89, if you're taking notes. And I want to read this to you um, from this writing. And um, it's Eugene Peterson's message. And, and I like the way um, he's writing um, verses 1 through 18 here. And, and um, I thought it's interesting as we talked about inheriting a new song. Look what the psalmist writes. It says this. <clears throat> it says, your love, God, is my song. That's crazy, right, that the psalmist could say that the love of God is my song in itself. And I'll sing it. I wonder if you've ever sang a song of God's love. Have you ever inherited a song of God's love? Where you sing of God's love, but it's not what someone else has already sang about God's love. It's what you're singing about God's love with your life, with your heart. He says, I'm forever telling everyone how faithful you are. I'll never quit telling the story of your love, how you built the cosmos and guarantee everything in it. Your love has always been our lives foundational foundation sorry your fidelity has been the roof over our world god let the cosmos praise your wonderful ways the choir of holy angels sing anthems to your faithful ways search high and low scan skies and land you'll find nothing and no one quite like god the holy angels are in awe before you he looms immense and august over everyone around him God of the angel armies, who is like you, powerful and faithful from every angle. You put the arrogant ocean in its place and calm its waves when they turn unruly. We could keep going, man. But, but what, a, what, a, what a beautiful penmanship uh, and a way of writing it, as Eugene puts it in the message. But, but you see how the author is writing about the love of God and, and the depth of it and how far it stretches. In Revelation, if you could write this one down, chapter 5, verse 10. There's a song being sung in all eternity. And there's a song in the book of Revelation during the end when one of the scrolls are being released. And one of the scrolls is taken out. It gives us an insight of what's happening and what will happen. And this is in Revelation 5. And, um, and I'm just going to read 8, 9, and 10 just for the sake of time. I would read the whole chapter, but let me read 8, 9, and 10. Listen to this. It says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song and they sang a new song. Isn't that crazy? That the four living creatures and 24 elders that are around the throne of God are singing a new song in eternity. You see, because some of us think that in eternity, whatever was will continue to always be. But in eternity, whatever is continues to become anew. And, and, and even songs become anew. You know the people that say, oh, my God, I'm going to be so bored in heaven after a year, a thousand. No, you're not. No, you're not. 
this verse right here shows me everything is anew. Have you ever woken up? Hopefully no one here has a Groundhog Day. For the majority, not everyone here experiences Groundhog Day. But for, for the majority, most of you guys, you, you wake up the next day and you're like, you kind of have an idea of what your schedule is going to be. But there's new surprises every single day. There's new surprises every single day. You've experienced something like, whoop, I didn't see that one coming this, today. For the most part, everyone knows what they're going to do tomorrow, correct? But as you know what, you go, what you're going to do tomorrow, you don't necessarily know what God's going to do tomorrow. You might get an offender bender, and it might be for you to minister to that person or to the cop. You might visit someone. You might get a phone call. You might, who knows? But somewhere throughout that day, we need to be alert that, hey, there might be something new here that God is doing. Eternity is like that and way deeper than that. And here are the four elders and here are the living creatures and they're singing a new song. And look what they're singing to the Lord. And singing something like this. You are worthy to take the scroll. I don't know exactly what, um, what note they're hitting, if it's a high pitch or low or uh, I'm not musically um, um, defined in a way, so I, I can't speak in music terms right now. But, but in a way, they were singing a new song. And they said, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and every people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth. Sounds like a beautiful song to me. Amen? It's a new song. The Lord is calling us as a church to walk in an inheritance that I believe many people will witness and they will desire. And they're going to want to follow you. They're going to want to follow you. Because they want to walk into the land that you're walking into. I really hope you can receive that. Last week we, we looked at Jesus' words and we studied from the passage of Luke chapter 12. And we looked at verses 13 through 21. Listen to last week's podcast. And he tells a story of, uh, to someone in a crowd. And this man asks Jesus, Master, teacher, tell my brother to share to give me my part of, uh, to give me my inheritance, to give me the inheritance that belongs to me from our father's estate. And Jesus looks at these two brothers who are bickering amongst a massive crowd of thousands and thousands of people. And he begins to answer with the story. And we learn about this man in Jesus' story. And this man in Jesus' story, he's actually a very successful man, if you remember last week. He's very successful in his business so much that he was not just able to make, but he was able to actually save and store, store from all his earnings. But what's sad about this man that we learned last week was that as he stored from his earnings, we see that what he lacked in was investing in that in which what he gained. Does that make sense to any of you? He failed to invest in what he gained. So when I ask you guys, what does it look like to invest? What, what would you, how would you answer? What would you say? Because for me, I wrote this down in my notes. You could write this down. To invest is to hope and aim to multiply what you're putting in. How many of you would say somewhat that's, that's pretty similar to what you just thought in your mind? To invest is to hope and aim to multiply what you're putting in. 
If I'm going to invest, right? If I put $10, I hope that $10 could become 20 Right? Investment. I hope that 20 could become 60 and it could multiply. Hopefully you guys save. Hopefully you guys are budgeting yourselves. Hopefully you guys are taking care of your money. Hopefully you're a good steward of your money. Just like you're a good steward of everything that God's given you. Are you a good steward of salvation? Come on. Are you a good steward of salvation? Ask yourself this then. Let's talk biblical. The Bible says to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are you a good steward of your salvation? Do you walk with fear and trembling? Are you a good steward with your money? How will God honor you with more money if you're not even faithful with the money that he's giving you right now? And with the job that he's giving you right now? God is calling you to be a good steward. I always tell, some, I always tell people this. You should always be saving. Even if it's a dollar you're saving, you're saving, you're doing something. If not, figure out a budget. Figure out a way where you could always save something. But why do you want to save for? Why do I want to save for? Because hopefully what I'm saving is to leave an inheritance, is to do something with that in which I'm storing up. So to invest is to hope and aim to multiply what you're putting in. So God tells this man in his story who's gained so much for himself in verse 20 of Luke 13, I'm going to repeat a little bit of last week as we continue to get into this today. He tells the man, you fool. You will die this very night. And who's going to get everything that you worked for? Verse 21 says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. We define that because you might say this, well, can't I have a rich relationship with God and still have earthly wealth? What's the answer? Absolutely. 100%. You could have earthly wealth and have a great relationship with the Lord. But how is your earthly wealth honoring the Lord because of your great relationship with the Lord? You can't separate your great earthly wealth from honoring the Lord because you, that, is, that is merged together. God is not a component of your life. God should be the depth and foundation and the depth of your life. Everything should root from your God, from Christ. It's not Christ is in this compartment and my wealth is in that compartment. Is my wealth is in Christ. My family is in Christ. My job is in Christ. My ministry is in everything roots from that. Hallelujah. So it is possible, and this is what Jesus was confronting. Jesus wasn't confronting that the man was rich. You read it wrong. Jesus was confronting that he was separating his riches from his relationship with God. That's what he was confronting. There is nothing wrong with having great wealth and having a great relationship with Jesus. You can do both, but you can't separate both. Both of them are to honor the Lord. All of your life is to honor Christ. Amen? So we must have that understanding. And we must have an understanding that our purpose is not to just live for this earth. If you live for this earth, if you live just to store up earthly wealth, if that is your full aim, if it's just to make and if it's just to gain, you, you might want to be very careful. 
But, but to put our efforts and, and investing and, 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 and watching the Lord multiply. Like, like be very careful that, that your eyes are not set just on this world because that could lead you to a lot of danger. But, but is my eyes set on investing into what the Lord wants to do and watch it multiply for the kingdom. Watch it multiply for his purpose. So I wrote this down in my notes and, and I hope it blesses you, bless me. It says the greatest form, I wrote this down, the greatest form of investment is this. It's eternal investments. I don't necessarily say earthly investments, though earthly investments could have eternal ramifications. But, but, but eternal investments, what do I mean by this? Here it is. When you change the direction, yes, of one person's life. Have you considered that when you change the direction of one individual's life, you're not just changing one individual's life because most likely from that one person's life, you're also going to change a generation that comes from that individual. So when I talk about the greatest form of investment, their eternal investments, it's not just changing one person's life. Because as you do change one person's life, it's about what? It's changing that whole one person's entire genealogy. It's the investment of leaving a legacy so that person may follow and learn from. Your life is not necessarily for yourself. You need to think about this. Your life may be on earth because of a generation that will follow you. You need to pass the torch one day. And God forbid that the day you pass that torch, the light, the fire of that torch is burned off, is turned off. How scary would that be when you say, son? And I'm not necessarily talking about a physical son or daughter, though it might be the physical son and daughter. But we went deeper last Sunday. That this could mean even spiritual. When you look at a son and a daughter and you say, here's the torch. Take it to the places where I could just pray. And when they grab the torch, it's like, dad, what in the world do I do with this torch? The fire is, is shut off. Man, I pray that it could burn bright for the next generation to lead them in, the, in a dark and crooked world, but that they would be a light and a pillar. Man, to establish a heritage, you should write that down. Is my life establishing a heritage? Am I passing down a culture? For you guys that are thinking about, oh, I guess I'll just do that when I get older, or I guess I'll just do that when I have kids, or I guess I'll just do that when I have grandkids, or I guess I'll just do that when I get married. Well, no, no, no. You start now in whatever season of life that you're in. You begin to establish a culture so that you could pass it down, a culture and a heritage. Listen, I have, I have physical children, right? I'm going to talk about my physical children. Their names is Jackson and Jade. But my physical children are going to look upon mom and dad. But away from mom and dad, there's a lot of uncles and aunts in their lives that they're also looking at. And I need their uncles and aunts in their lives as well to be men and women of God that are leaving a heritage so that my sons and daughters could say it and see it. Man, look at this family that my parents have surrounded me around. These are men and women that love Jesus and are setting a path for me and my children to walk in. Like this stuff is not just about me and my family. This stuff is about my children's children. And I need the legacy to live. And this has nothing to do with the church called Nest. This has everything to do with the Holy Spirit burning inside of their souls. Not just for my generation, but for my children's children. A culture, a heritage, guys. 
Are you passing down a culture? Come on. Be a church that is setting a culture so that others could long for and walk into it. What do you chase? You chase all the different fads? Whatever is the coolest thing, whatever the person with the most influence tells you to chase. Like, what do you chase in your life? You better be careful, man. Chase his presence. Chase him. Get in his word. Fall in love. Establish. Let him establish inside of you so that you can leave it around. You can leave the residue so that others could walk in. Amen? A culture, a heritage. Listen, and we ended a little bit with this last Sunday that breaks generational dysfunction. I called my father up here. I called my son up here. And I believe that was spirit-led because I wasn't going to do that. And God just brought it to my attention as we were ending service last Sunday. Sorry we don't have a video recording. But, but, but you can start praying for our services to get video recorded and for people to donate the cameras. And, <laughs> and um, then we'll share the gospel through YouTube and all that. But whatever. Until then, we have podcasts. But a culture... culture and heritage that breaks generational dysfunction, that breaks the streak of mental and spiritual wavering. Of mental and spiritual wavering. You guys know what I'm talking about, mental and spiritual wavering? That we break the streak of that. And that, that, that establishes, it establishes mental, instead of mental and spiritual health, rooted in our identity that is can only be found in Christ Jesus. I wrote this down, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a scripture in a moment. I'm gonna, actually, you could turn to Romans 8. Turn to Romans 8. We're going to study from Romans 8 for a moment. Romans 8, just turn there. I'll tell you what verse to look at. We're going to cover a lot of Romans 8, but when you're there, give me an amen. As you turn to Romans 8, you could also write this down in your notes. I'm talking about Establishing a coach, I'm talking about leaving an inheritance. I'm talking about um, a mature inheritance. A mature inheritance. And that's going to be my message today, mature inheritance. Mature inheritance. Maybe I could explain it this way. Immature parents will always reproduce immature children. Immature parents will always reproduce immature children. If you, if you spiritually waver all the time, you, then you, what do you think? You think your kids are just going to see the model in how you spiritually waver. I, immature parents reproduce immature children. So, so what's important is this, the growth that begins with us will begin to what? What, 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 what does the Bible say? You know a tree by its what? Come on, the Lord calls us a tree. He compares us to a tree. I'm, I'm not taking stuff out of scripture here. Jesus says man is like a tree. You know them, you know them like, as a tree. As a tree bears fruit. And you know them by their fruit. And if the fruit is good, then that tree is good. If the tree bears bad fruit and the fruit is bad, then you could say that that tree is... Are you with me? He's talking about human beings there. He's not only talking about who cares about the tree. Cut it down. He's talking about us. If you receive fruit from that person and it's bad, then the core of their being is bad. If it's good, then the core of their being is good. He's talking about us. He's not talking about a real tree. The whole cursing of the fig tree, it, it, it was a deeper teaching than just cursing a fig tree as he walked by it. 
May no one ever eat from your tree again. When they come back, the disciples said, look at that. The tree that Christ Jesus cursed is withering and dying. It was, a, it was deeper because it, it, the tree was there for people that were on a journey to a destination, and it was waving its leaves. And what happens was, oh, good, figs. We could eat figs. And when the people went to go receive nourishment from the fig, they recognized that the tree that um, repres- the, the tree that displayed um, nourishment and displayed uh, uh, um, hope when they went up to it, there was no fruit to receive from it. And Jesus saw that and said, may no one ever eat from your, free- from your tree again. That is teaching about a people that, that play an image to give you something and at, at the end, there's nothing to receive from them. So what is that tree? It's an imposter. It's an imposter. I'll get into imposter in a little bit. I don't want to get into that yet. You're an imposter. You're supposed to give fruit, but you didn't. You fake. You're a fake. You're fake. You're fake. Immature parents, man. Listen, listen. The growth that begins with us begins to produce what? Guys, I'm not t- I'm, I feel like you're not understanding. I'll go back into the text again. We're trees. And trees produce what? And if it's a good tree, it produces? And if it's a bad tree, it produces? And Jesus is not talking about trees and planting trees. He's talking about you and I. Okay, good. So watch this. So the growth that begins with us begins to produce? Yeah, fruit. There you go. And why do you think that we produce fruit? We produce fruit not for us ourselves could eat. The reason why trees produce fruit is so that what? So that others can come and grab from the fruit of your tree. What does that mean? Jesus put you on this earth not for yourself, but so that others can receive from you. you in the land for what bear fruit so I what so someone could snack so I what so that someone could eat so I what so that someone could live why because there's a perishing malnourished world and if I have some trees that are producing much fruit and the fruit is good those that are going to eat from that tree are going to eat good fruit and in return they're going to produce as well into good trees also producing much fruit your discipleship is not just extensive bible study with someone your discipleship is doing life with an individual where they can eat constantly from your tree and reproduce the same kind of fruit that you produce listen to me it's the spirit that's alive inside of you man it's fruit we're bare fruit so others can eat others will eat it brings nourishment why does it bring nourishment why does it bring nourishment because people need to find what strength how many of us I have I felt weak. I felt weak so many times, so many moments in my life. And in moments of weakness, yes, I have to run to the Lord. Yes, I have to find his presence. Yes, I have to get in his word. But man, I'll tell you what have been so much of the vital things of my life have been trees that are in my life that produce good fruit. And I have found strength in their fruit. 
Others eat of our fruit. If your fruit is not birthed in his word, from his word, from his presence, what kind of fruit will we produce? His word is so important. His presence is so important. So that it could be nourished fruit. Not your thoughts, not your ideals, not your opinions, but his facts. But his truth. But his word. His word. So that others could live in. What does his word say about this? What does his word say about that? Hopefully you are the nourishment for this world. Amen? And you cause them to be strengthened. And you set them up for success rather than setting them up for failure. Oh, you fig tree. Cursed are you. May no one ever eat of your fruit again. But instead, that you will set others for success rather than for failure. How many of you could say amen? Listen, it's a spiritual inheritance in which I'm talking about. It's a mature inheritance. We said last week that part of a definition of inheritance or spiritual inheritance is this. It's a spiritual genetic characteristics that is transmitted from parent to offspring. From parent to offspring. Are you a pioneer or are you an orphan? Are you a son or are you an orphan? Hopefully you are blessed by that. Let's get into Romans 8. Maybe some of this stuff will trigger. Maybe some of this stuff will mean something to you. In Romans 8, I'm going to start off in verse 5. I'll probably end somewhere in verse 17. That's what I gave them to put up on the screen. But I'm going to get into Romans 8 for a moment. I'm going to start off in verse 5 here. Listen to what is being said here. I'll read from the New Living right now. It says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. The New King James, love it, says it this way. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You there? Verse 6 says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the, the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You see how the Spirit produces good fruit? For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. I love verses 5, 6, 7, 8. It's the immaturity. It's the immature individual. It's the immature people who are being dominated by the nature, by a nature that is other than God's. Immaturity, spiritual immaturity is being dominated by sinful natures rather than by God's nature. And by God's nature, I'm talking about that which is of the Holy Spirit. So the immaturity here is that or those who are being dominated by a nature that is other than God's. What is dominating your life? Is it God or is it something other than God? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Just You could, you could define your life with that. What is my, what do I live according to? Because if I live according to the flesh, well, how do you know if you live according to the flesh? Is your mind set on the things of the flesh? You have the answer for yourself. I mean, we don't have to dig any deeper. We don't have to do this because, my God, we don't want to be that church, you know? <laughs> Making all of you come out here like, God, I'm never going back to that church again. They make me feel so miserable. No, I mean, you know the answer. Like, just dig in. Is your, is your mind set on, what does it say? On the flesh. If it's on the things of the flesh, then you live according to the flesh. 
But to those who live according to the Spirit, their mind is set on what? On the things of the Spirit. I mean, we could talk about the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and you could define whether your mind is on the things of the Spirit. Amen? What, what is verses 5 through 8 describing? I, I, I received this from it, from Paul's letter here. It's an immaturity of those who are being dominated by the nature other than God's. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to walk into the inheritance, into an inheritance that is set for us. So here is the inheritance that we are to walk into. I love how scripture just says it for you. All we're doing is preaching Paul's preaching. We're reading Paul's preaching. That's all we're doing. We love to re-preach what Paul preached. But I'm just going to read what Paul preached. So here it is. So what does Paul say? You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. If you say you have the Spirit of God living in you and you're being controlled by the what? Sinful nature, then there's the Spirit of God living in you. Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So who are the ones that belong to God? Who are sons and daughters of God? Those who have the what? The Spirit of Christ living in them. If the Spirit of Christ is not in us, then we don't belong to Him. Verse 10. And Christ lives within you. Well, there you go. If Christ lives in you, then you belong to the Father. If the greatest son lives within this son, if the greatest son lives within this daughter, then you belong to him. Because the greatest son, Jesus, speaks, speaks for you on the day that you find yourself before his throne. Amen? He's your mediator. Christ lives with you. So even though your body will die because of sin... The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. What is that called? Righteousness. You have received righteousness. Christ lives in you, so you've received His righteousness. All wrong now is being made right. We've preached on that so many times here. Verse 11. The Spirit of God who raises Jesus from the dead, raised Jesus from the dead, sorry, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit that lives within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, guys, I bolded this in my notes, ready? You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Who has a, um, a NKJV? Or you have an ESV? Okay, NKJV? Read, uh, read verse 12 out loud, NKJV. You are what? Yeah. Man, you belong to that. You have, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. But look at verse 13. He's going to unleash. What do you do now? For if you live by its dictates, you're going to die because that's what sin does. But if, through, but if it's through the power of spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. What does this mean, man? When I read Romans 8, I'm recognizing this. That if the Spirit of Christ lives in me, I now become a child of God. What does that talk about? That because the Spirit of Christ lives in me, I now inherit everything that that thing possesses. It all belongs to me now. Like, everything that belongs to Christ belongs to me. I inherit it because it lives inside of me. That's what Paul is saying. So he says in verse 14, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. What does the NKJV call you there? NLT says fearful slaves. Does NKJV say something different? 
It says about the same thing. Slaves. Um, on verse um, 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Bondage. A slave under bondage. Instead, you receive now what? God's spirit. And when he adopted you as his own child, as his own children, look how the word changes now. Look how the mouth changes now. Look how the fruit changes now. Look how the life changes now. Look how the conversation changes now. Look how you begin to inherit a new song now. What comes out of your mouth now sounds something like this. Now we call him Abba Father. I mean, the whole first section of chapter of, of Romans chapter 8 is like, hey, if you give yourself over to the flesh, you're going you're gonna to be dictated by the things of the flesh. And that stuff leads to death, man. And if the spirit of Christ is not living inside of you, then you don't even belong to him. And all this stuff that Paul is just unleashing, right? But then he says, but if you belong to Christ and the spirit of Christ lives inside of you, things about you start to change. What you long for starts to change. You're putting to death certain things. And now that you receive this spirit, you're no longer in bondage. You're no longer a slave in fear. Instead, now, because of God's spirit, you now become a son. You now become a daughter. You now become a child. We've spoken about the power of the children that receive an inheritance from father. And in that inheritance, we start to say things like, Hello, Abba, Father. And no longer, Hello, marvelous, magnificent God who sits on his throne in magna majesty. Yes, those are all words of reverence. But man, we could also use words of intimacy and just say Abba, Father, if we want to. We don't have to go through 10 steps of, um, of consecration just to have a conversation with God. All we have to do is say, Abba, Father, your son is here. Before the throne of grace with boldness in the time of mercy. Abba, Father, our wordage changes because we inherit. We inherit a what? In our lives changing we also inherit a different view of him. And he's not just this ferocious God who's going to judge the nations, as scripture does say. But he's also this loving father who comforts his son when I need mercy. And it's all because he sees in my wrong, he sees through it because he sees Christ is right. And because the spirit of Christ lives in me, I become the righteousness of Christ. So Abba Father, here is your son who is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's powerful, man. So good. For his spirit joins, verse 16. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are heirs. We are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Can you imagine and if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Just because I talked about that last week. Listen, immature parents will always reproduce immature children. So the growth that begins with us will begin to produce food for our children to eat and brings nourishment to them, causing them to live in the strength of it. So listen to this. The generation that follows ours, because of our lack of leaving an inheritance, if we do, listen, because we, leave, because we lack in leaving an inheritance, the generation that follows ours, not us, but if we were, not us, but if we were to not leave an inheritance, will they become orphans looking for models to, follow, models to follow, which will cause them to be imposters? 
finding anyone to follow and mimic, doing what everyone else does, and chasing in others what they will never truly find. Or, because of who we are as a family, will we create sons and daughters that will carry the torch we pioneered before them, where they will find Christ to model, not us, follow me as I follow him. Where they will find Christ to model and not mimic, but be transformed into his image, doing what he does and chasing only what he has to offer. I know a lot of people that chase what man has to offer, but may we be a people that tell people to follow us so that they can learn how to chase what only Jesus can offer. Amen? In the men's group a couple weeks ago, we, we got into a Galatians chapter 4. It was a very, a very um, deep study in the sense of heirs and Abba Father and being sons. And it was right on time with our little series here of inheritance. Romans 8, if you're taking notes, Romans 8, same author as Galatians 4, Paul. And yet Paul is consistently repeating himself to different to, to, Two different bodies of churches that still make up the one body of Christ, one body of the church. You get what I'm saying? He writes a letter to Rome. He writes a letter to the areas of Galatia, which is Turkey, <laughs> Rome and Turkey. And yet, from Rome and Turkey, Rome and Turkey, he is still saying the same thing. He's still saying the same thing to both Rome and Turkey. And what is he saying? He's saying what I just read in Romans eight, and what he says in Galatians four. He's saying this, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, which now cries out, Abba, Father. You know, my son, out of reverence, could call me, Señor Rioveto Figueredo. Good. In many cultures, you call your parents, and I'm not bashing, it's good. You call your parents, Señor and see, senora. And may you never call them also. And that's good. It's, it's honoring your parents. See, si, senor. See, si, senora. I remember my Costa Rican friend when I was in his room, and his mom says, Pedrito, la comida ya está lista. And he says, Ahí voy, senora. I said, Senora. <laughs> I'm Cuban. I said, If you call my mom, senora, she's not going to like that. And he taught me, he says, in my culture, senora is a phrase of honor. Oh, and it says, that must be what Jesus meant when he says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? In his language, it was a term of endearment, of honor to his mom. But I love when my son doesn't say, senor. Jackson, I mean, I wish you would listen to me the first time I'll say it, but the food is ready, si, senor. I mean, actually, I would like them. I like that a lot. <laughs> but there's something special when he says, yes, dad, yes, daddy, yes, dada. I love when my daughter looks at me and says, dada. It, it speaks to a deeper place in my heart, at least for me. And when I could go up to the father and not just say, oh, God, who is set apart from the rest of this world, and, and use such beautiful language, which is all good. But I could also come to him from a place of intimacy, a place where he invites me and accepts me. And I have the privilege now to say, hello, Abba Father. Because now I'm an adopted son, 
and I shared this with the men, I'm not last in line, but I'm brought up to Abba's presence so that now he could hear my cry. And finally is where I begin to hear his voice. Where he's no longer expressed as a faraway mystical celestial God that we can't approach, but an intimate cry of simplicity and genuineness of the heart that sounds different than ever before. And it might sound like Romans 8 and Galatians 4. There's a reason why Paul wrote this. Paul writes, Abba, Father. And arriving at the place of Abba, Father, I recognize that I'm no longer in bondage. I'm no longer a slave, but now I'm a son. And if I'm a son, guess what else I am according to Galatians 4 and according to what we just read in Romans 8. If I'm a son, I'm also, guess what? Guess what? I inherit. So what am I? I'm an heir. And as an heir, that means I'm an inheritor. I I inherit what what daddy leaves. Heirs are what? Recipients of an inheritance. Only because we stepped into a heritage that was left to us by Jesus. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if you're a son, you're an heir of God through Christ. And that should humble us. That we walk into an inheritance that Jesus establishes for us. And it's established. He established an heritage that we're learning to live and starting to describe or demonstrate with our lives, better yet said. And we've become lost sons, now become sons. And in becoming sons, we become heirs. And in becoming heirs now, what does this mean? We are legally entitled to what belongs to the Father. How many of you still live as Christians saying, I don't deserve heaven? Like, I get it. We're all depraved. We're all far short. And, but is the spirit of Christ living inside of you said, oh, that is Abba's is mine. Transition. I don't deserve heaven. I'm a wicked man. We know that. We all fall short. But if the spirit of Christ lives in you and you say, Abba, Father, you now become what? One who inherits all that belongs to the Father. We become heirs and we walk into this. And, and I said this to the men. Now we walk into the room and we say things and we live a certain way. And people look at us and say, who do you think you are? And what is our correct reply? We said this, man, I am an heir of Abba Father. And it's not done in pride when we say that. It's not done in arrogance when we pray that. But it's in boasting. It's boasting as a son boasts in his father. It's boasting. When I remember when I preached this to you guys years ago. When I when in, in elementary school. My father is bigger than your father. My father is stronger than your father. My father could be your father up. And little kids talk like that because they like to boast about their dads. My dad is strong. He's got a knife and he carries it with him and he cuts a machete and he cuts a tree and he let me cut a tree with him and my dad and I don't know they just like to boast in their dads and here we are as children and what do we do we walk into a room and with our life we boast about Abba Father and we speak of him and we live in him and people are like what is it about you who do you think you are I receive an inheritance from him everything that is his is mine I speak lovely things of him because my daddy could beat up your daddy my daddy has riches for me that are greater than what your daddy has for you. Psalm 78, 3 and 4 says stories, stories we've heard and known, stories that our ancestors handed down to us, the psalmist says. Verse 4, we will not hide these stories, these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. 
Son, let me tell you about Abba. Then my son becomes a father. Son, let me tell you about Abba, father. And then his son becomes a father. Son, let me tell you about Abba, father. And what it becomes is there are stories and there are truths to our children and to our children's children and to the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and about his mighty wonders. One day I'm going to tell my son when he understands the, the depth of cancer. And I'm going to say, do you know that one day we anointed Abuelo with oil because they said he needed chemo and he had cancer all over his body. And the church got together and we prayed for him. And he went back to his Jewish doctor. And the Jewish doctor said, what's wrong with you? And Abuelo said, I don't know. They prayed for me in church. And I don't know. And the Jewish doctor says, well, you have no more cancer. And all the cancer is gone. I'm going to tell that to my son so that when he sees his grandfather, he could say he was going to have chemotherapy. But they prayed over him. And he was healed so I'm going to tell my son about the glorious deeds and works of our Lord and what he did to generations past I'm telling you that we're leaving a legacy not just so that you can live in but so that the children that come after you could follow I almost want to get into Paul I want to get into the lost son I want to get into so much but I feel like we have to end Paul left an awesome legacy to his son Timothy you feel like, oh, I, I'm never going to have a child. Shame on you if you think you need to have a child to have a child. Shame on you if you think you need to have a child to have a child. I'm never going to have a daughter. Shame on you if you think you need to have a daughter to have a daughter. Because, because I don't know if Paul ever had kids, but I know Paul had a lot of kids. So he writes to one of his sons because he loves to write to his sons. And he writes to his son called Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, he tells Timothy, Timothy, his son, who now becomes his son. And he says, but you, Timothy, you son, you know what I've taught you. You know what I teach and you know how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know why he's saying this? Because seriously, seriously, I know what Paul's talking about here. Because it's very easy. My son, I know they're talking about me. But you've known me long enough to know how I really lived. You know how long I, you've been with me to know what I really teach. Just because the other people said certain things, don't listen to them, Timothy. And that's what Paul's heart was saying. And Paul's saying this, Timothy, you know what I teach and you know how I live and you know what my purpose in life is. Look what he tells Timothy. You know my faith, you know my patience, you know my love, you know my endurance. Look at verse 11. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured? You know all about what I've been persecuted in all these different towns, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and the Lord, what did he do? He rescued me from all of it. Yes, verse 12. Yes, Timothy, yes. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to suffer persecution. But Timothy, verse 13, come on, evil people, come on. Evil people and imposters, they will flourish. They will deceive others. And they will themselves be deceived. I think Paul received a letter from Timothy saying, Paul, Dada, Tim, Paul, I'm going through a lot, man. I'm, I'm, I'm very, like people are coming into our church and, they're, and they're, 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 just, they're just ramping it up. They're causing division. I don't know what. And Paul has to write to his son. He's like, Men, evil people and imposters are going to flourish. They're going to deceive others. And they themselves also will be deceived. Verse 14, Timothy, but you, you, Timothy, I'm not concerned about the imposters. I'm not concerned about the other people. Timothy, my son, you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know that they are true. And you know that you can trust those who have taught you, Timothy. What a beautiful wordage from, from Paul to Timothy. He calls these individuals in the New Living an imposter, meaning a person who pretends, the tree, the fig tree, guys, a person who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others, especially in fraud and gain. 
in fraud, in a way to, to gain your, by, by using fraud. And I believe this, that the imposter, the deceiver, also possesses, not me, becomes deceived. And what I mean is this, they begin to even believe their own lies. They believe to, be, to believe their own lies, that they're of something. And what they have to offer is something. And Paul is confronting Timothy with those people. Who are these people that Paul is warning Timothy of? These are people who find their identity through deception. These are people who find their identity through using others. As Christians, we don't use others. We don't deceive people. People who desire to have gain, but their path to gain is nothing but fraud. And Paul is addressing this. Who are we? Come on, who are we in this family? The legacy they leave, Paul is saying, is empty. It's weightless. It's not rooted in true purpose. It's only rooted in self. But when they die, it comes to nothing. Why does when they die, it comes to nothing? Because it's fraud. They're frauds. And as we learned last week from Jesus' very own words, now Paul also is warning Timothy, these people are not of us. They're evil. They're imposters. What does Jesus call this man in his parable in Luke 12? A person is a fool. They store up all this stuff, but there's no rich relationship. It's not a rich relationship with God. They're imposters. They're posers. They're frauds. But Timothy, what is he telling Timothy? You ate from my fruit. And you found nourishment and strength in what I've left you. What is, he, what is Paul telling Timothy? Are you getting the revelation here? I said what? A heritage through my life. My purpose, my life, my faith, my patience, my endurance, my persecution. I left an inheritance for you, Timothy, to walk in and teach others. He's talking to a spiritual son. Forget about what they're saying. I've taught you well. Walk in what I've taught you. I've only led you to Christ. That's it. So I want you to consider this, guys, and maybe I'll wrap it up. Maybe. That all your difficulties, all your persecution, all things that may bring pain into your life, just like he's telling Timothy, could it be that the Lord is using it? And why would the Lord use it? Because in using it, he's going to establish an inheritance for someone else. Someone else is going to benefit from your story. And though it's painful right now, it's going to become very fruitful in the time being. Hallelujah. Write this down in your notes. I don't, oh man, I need more time. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. What do I want about this passage? I use the greatest example that any man could use. Jesus, what I just said to you, Jesus did it for us. First Peter, I'll, I'll just read through it and you will get it. It says this, ready? 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is what? He is used in the same sentence as dead. Why? He had to suffer. He had to go through death. But now what? What does he say in verse 3? Now we live with great expectations. Through Jesus' death, we live with great expectations. Through your pain, they live with great expectation. And we have a priceless, verse 4, an inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. New King James, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. It's reserved for you. Everyone say reserved. Yes, it's reserved. It's in heaven. It is set apart. It is guarded. He says this in verse 6. There is wonderful joy ahead. Everyone say there's joy. 
But watch what he says next. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, they will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested, verse 7, as fire testing purifies gold. Through your faith is far more precious than mere gold. When your faith remains strong through many trials, it brings you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ reveals to the whole world. Man, there's something that is happening in pain and in trials. And it's not just for you. It's for the generations that follow you. Verse 12 says, of the old or prophets of old in the Old Testament, in verse 12 says, they were told that their message were not for themselves, but they were for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So even the prophets, as they spoke, their messages was not for themselves, but it was for the ones to come. Man. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. And I hope you're understanding the importance of being a church that leaves a legacy. A family that leaves an inheritance. I pray that Nest would be a different home to all of you. And that Nest would be a different home to those who long for it. That we leave a heritage. That we leave an inheritance. That we set a culture. So that someone else can live in. Amen? Have you ever um, read the, so- the story of what the Bible calls the prodigal son? Read it? What does the young son say? Dad, what? Give me what's what? Well, can I ask you a question? What really is his? He's receiving whatever belongs to his Father. So when he says, Dad, give me what belongs to me, he's touching the heart of his father. Because what the father is going to give him is everything that belongs to the father. The father set the culture, the father set the inheritance so that the son could ask for what belongs to him. So he takes his portion. What does he do with his portion? He uses it wrongfully. So much that he loses all his money on wasteful living, sinful living. He finds himself so poor that he's on, his, on the floor. And what is he doing? He's eating pig's food. He's eating pig's food. I have no desire to eat pig's food. I'll eat the pig. But not its food. He says, I'm going to go back to father's house and I'm going to tell him that I'm not even worthy to be a slave I want to be lower than a slave but as long as I'm there I'm better he runs back and the father sees him from afar he says give me the robe give me the ring give me the shoes and he starts to run and the son how many times have we shared this here man father forget and he can't even say it the father hugs him kisses him on the neck puts his robe puts his ring on puts his sandals on says get the cow ready we're going to have a party tonight my son is back I wanted to preach a whole message on the older son maybe in a future time I will because we, we love to preach that message so much but we never preach about the old son the other son. There's a party going on. He's like, what's that noise? He's like, oh, you didn't hear your brother's back. And your father's having a party. He's like, what? That, that punk is back. 
I heard what he did. He's back. He comes to his father and says, Dad, what is it, my son? Dad, I... All these years, Dad, I've slaved for you. Everyone go, ah. What a shame, son, that you thought living in my presence was slavery. How many of you are following the Lord and it's slavery? And you don't really know the Lord. He who the Son sets free. for all these years I've been in bondage for all these years and never once never once for you never once refused to do a single thing I've done everything you told me to do and in all that time you never gave me even one young goat so that I could have a feast with my friends I've been a slave and that comes from a Greek word which is really used in a bad sense the father looks at the son. I'm thinking with a tear maybe welding up in his eyes. And he says, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine has always been yours. You've always been with me and all that I have is yours. Son, it was, it's only right that we should party. It's only right that we should marry and be glad. For your brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. But son, everything that I've had was always yours. What happens with the son? The old son, the son that stayed back. The one that was in slavery. He was immature. He was in the father's house. But it was about himself. And being about himself, he didn't recognize everything that the father wanted to give him. I started to think about this and I said, the other son had an inheritance. But he failed to realize that his inheritance comes with responsibility. My inheritance that I have in God drives out a responsibility from me. The older brother, instead of being joyful in the heritage that his father left for him, he finds himself slaving for his father instead of enjoyment with his father and enjoying his father. His father never threw a party for him. Yet the father says, all that I've had and I have has always been yours. What has he been saying? This should have been a party forever. You mean to tell me that all these years and you haven't been partying? You haven't invited your friends over? Not once. You haven't sacrificed one of my goats not once. They've been out on the farm. You should have taken it. It's yours. You should have invited your friends. It's yours. You should have thrown a party. It was yours always. You never took it upon yourself to walk in the legacy that I've left for you. In the inheritance that I've left for you. There was no reason to celebrate and party because if your view and your heart was right, all the time you were with me, living in this inheritance should have been a celebration. But you took it as bondage. You took it as being enslaved. So I wrote some things down. I said this, if you feel 
punishment, misery in your father's house rather than experiencing joy and being found, you may be losing out on knowing God in intimacy as Abba Father. Can we live our lives trying to get to the Father, to please the Father, but yet living miserable here on earth because our aim is to always get to Him. It's to gain our eternal inheritance on this great day that we're all awaiting for. But can we finally get to a place where we can live finding ourselves in Him, in Abba Father right now, living pleasing Him now, and then our perspective and our aim changes that I don't have to live to gain an eternal inheritance, but that I can live where right now on earth I could begin to enter into a heritage and into an inheritance that my Father has already left for me here on earth. So that when I get to heaven, I'm like, Dad, you know, life sucked, man, for a long time. And he's like, what? Was I not being made alive inside of you? Were you not being a witness to my glory that was living in you? Were you not celebrating with everything that I was doing? Even with your pain and your suffering and the things that you were calling miserable, did you not witness my fatherly goodness and love? It's the way we view it. It's the way we see it. Come on, a mature inheritance so that we could leave it for the next generation. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and examine yourself and look deep within. Establish yourself in this word. Where do you stand? Where do you go from here? Come on, how do you speak to Abba from here? Where is it that you go now? Listen, don't don't take the inheritance and don't waste it on the sinful nature like the other son did. But live in Abba's presence. And while you're in his presence and you're in his word and you're in his truth, don't miss out on the celebration that is there in finding intimacy with him and receiving an inheritance in him that you could start enjoying it now even in the midst of pain and suffering and heartache all kinds of hurt you could start experiencing it right now come on if if you know God is challenging you to walk in a mature in maturity and to inherit the Father has given you in maturity. I want you right there where you are just to, to come in agreement with me. If you want to lift up your hands, go ahead and just lift them as a, as a sign of surrender. Say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Father. I received this word from me, Lord. An inheritance. A heritage that is not just for me, but it's for generations that follow. Be made alive. Come on, just spend spend about a minute just praying. Spend a minute there just crying out to your Father. Speak to Him there from an intimate place. Come on. You have to learn how to do this. You have to break through in doing this. Come on, you and the Father right now the Father right now. 
Come on, maybe you got to sing a new song right there where you're at. Inherit a new song. Inherit a new song.